Hello and welcome to the Hitherto Untitled Comics Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. And I'm and David. Me... Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. We both talk, right? We're so excited. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, you're, you're my guest. I introduce you. <laughs> Joining me on this, uh, on this Hitherto Untitled journey is honestly one of the most knowledgeable comics people that I I don't want to imply that he is in any way involved in the creation of comics. He could never. <laughs> Truly. But he is my brother, so I decided to throw him a bone. Please welcome David. David, how are you today? Oh, I'm well, Christopher. How are you? Should I should I be calling you Christopher on the air? <laughs> you know what? You can just call me anything. This I've never well actually I have one time done a podcast with family before, but generally speaking it's a weird dynamic. Uh, I'll be sticking sure we'll... with Christopher. I'm not adjusting. I, I refuse fine. to change my behavior. Right. We were just talking about Jeffrey Tambor, so you're sort of a you're the Jeffrey Tambor of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag I refuse to change my behavior. <laughs> the first thing, so this is, just to give you a general sense, since the title, well, you know the title by now if you're listening to this, but we don't know the title. Um, the general idea of this podcast is that it's a podcast about comics runs. Hence my suggested title, We've Got the Runs, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, so David, why don't you just sort of break down the general conceit of what this would be about? So I feel that there is uh, a bit of a void in the comics podcasting world. Most most comics podcasts are very focused on news um, and particularly movie news and tv news as well as new releases um reviewing new releases i don't feel that there's a big uh uh i guess group of podcasts that's focused on really digging into the history of comics which is uh obviously very rich and has been going strong since uh since the late 30s uh, and the podcasts that do dig into that history tend to be very, very focused uh, on individual franchises uh, or characters or teams or what have you. Uh, and so I thought a good way to engage with uh, some of the the broader comics that are out there is to do so by looking at uh, some of the established creators from across the history of comics um, and look at some of their most significant runs, um, which there's there's tons of creators uh usually if you stick in comics for more than a couple of uh, a couple of runs then you tend to be a very prolific writer so there's lots of creators who uh, have very storied careers with lots of well-known runs on well-known properties uh, and lots of lesser known runs on lesser properties so i thought it would be interesting to be able to take creators um and specifically writers because artists can be pretty difficult to follow uh title to title and, and to and... work with <laughs> you're telling me um <laughs> we're doing bits as if we like have any experience yeah, as any if i've this. ever like, created anything <laughs> yeesh these artists are always, are always missing their deadlines am i right folks they're always spilling coffee on your tables yes uh i i think we gravitate towards writers more than artists because um, as much as I think I've done a little bit of learning about art through my engagement with comics, ne neither of us is like an art theorist uh, or an art historian or a person who you would ask to draw anything other than a stick figure. In fact, I think <laughs> Even we're probably then. two of the worst visual artists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to bring this up later, but yes, I, I think that neither of us are really at least in terms of our natural sense i think we're definitely more drawn towards writing and storytelling and especially like the world building elements of comics rather than the art but yes. it is it is something that i want to try and appreciate more because obviously like the whole point of comics is that it's a visual medium and i feel like the way i've read comics sometimes is like I'll just literally just be reading the text bubbles and the art will sort of be secondary, which is strange. It's strange that you especially, but both of us would be into comics considering how much of it is so art focused. It's true. And I think that that is how most people, well, not maybe not most people, but I think especially new readers like 
we're used to reading prose um and there's a, a degree to which comics pages are kind of designed to draw your eye from panel to panel um so i think the the challenge of like just reading the bubbles and kind of flying over the art is something a lot of people uh deal with and if you're not kind of visually inclined like that to to drink in the art it sort of has to be uh something that you mindfully do to slow down and actually look at the art so anyways all all that to say art is not uh i think either of our our fortes and i think it's just generally easier to follow the career of writers and understand kind of how their how their careers build uh in a way that can be tougher with uh with artists uh not being industry professionals and not being artists in any way ourselves so i think it could be interesting to look at some specific uh artists and i think we'll definitely cover some like writer artists or cartoonists or or whatever term you want to use there like frank miller obviously would be one that we'd probably get to at some point but i i think looking at someone like alex ross could be interesting i can think of a few artists who who might be interesting to look at who who are maybe less prolific because the other problem is that artists tend to bounce around a bit more from title to title than writers do which kind of is is the thrust of what i was initially getting at which is the format that we want to take is to look at the major runs uh in a creator's career um so what i mean by that is i think i think absolute bare minimum baseline i'd say you want to have at least a trade's worth of material, like a trade paperback's worth of material from a creator on a run in order to consider it. So like we're not doing, you know, the the three issues of Batman and Robin that Paul Cornell wrote or anything like that. You need, I'd, I'd say five to six issues would be kind of the bare minimum with a few rare exceptions. But since I want to focus more on kind of the major uh, works of creators, I think we would be looking at kind of anything under 15 issues unless it has particular significance to the writer's uh, career or to the industry in general is probably going to be off the table and we're going to be focused on more significant works maybe like 12 to 15 would be more sort of the range i'm thinking of right and so do you in your mind so like let's say we're i can't even think of a good example here but let's say we're covering jim jones's work on green lantern do you see it more as so let's say Jim Jones has written 50 issues of Green Lantern. Do you see us focusing on arcs within that run or would one episode tackle the entirety of that run? Yeah, a 50 issue run, I would want to take more time for sure. Like I I, I think when I think about it, I think the most issued issues I'd want to cover in a single episode would be like maybe 18-ish. Um <laughs> what <laughs> just 18 ish <laughs> well you know I, like i really want to draw the line at 18 i mean i don't really want to draw the line at 18 but i think kind of the like 15 to 20 range right. is is sort of more what i'm getting so we'll at. say in the general in the general area of 17 and a half issues yeah exactly like <laughs> i think like I'm, I'm sitting in my my office where i keep all my comics right now and kind of scanning over some of the collected editions i have and i'm looking at like uh, I think in general for a longer series, like a deluxe edition's worth of material, which they, they tend to be sort of in the 12 to 18 issue range when they, they've already broken it down like that and sort of mapped the reading in that way, that makes for a kind of easy, easy way to look at it. Or like Marvel does these epic collections um, for, for titles that are not necessarily uh, broken out in a convenient way by creator but those also and that's you describing them as epic right yeah oh very <laughs> epic they well let's epic let's be honest collections. <laughs> these collections pwn <laughs> they do pwn uh they have leet hacks um, they're wind sauce yeah, absolutely <laughs> all of the above um but they they tend to also be kind of an ideal size for what i think could reasonably be covered in a single episode that would give us uh enough material because like going deep on like one or two issues can be tough unless there's like really jam-packed issues but it, like i said if we're trying to tackle like a 50 issue run in uh in one episode that's uh that's asking a lot i think right um that's actually it's a great segue you mentioning your office um because i wanted to maybe get us started by talking about our shared and divergent history with comics because I would say that we are both very big comics fans, but I think your fandom goes a lot deeper than mine. I think I I definitely 
extremely appreciate comics, but I've not dug into it as deeply as you. So you're sort of the the czar of this operation. Is that fair to say? I think uh, that is fair to say. And I think between the two of us, like, well, obviously, we'll talk about it a little bit more in our histories. But we grew up reading, you know, Archie's and... Um, yeah. Did you did you ever read Mum's collection of classics illustrated? <laughs> yes, they're very <laughs> weird. It's like I wasn't sure if you had or not, but those yeah. are those are vintage joints. <laughs> those are, those I was <laughs> I was looking at those recently. I was I was participating in some like Reddit thread about someone was asking about um, adaptations of literary works, and I was like, oh, classics <laughs> illustrated, and so I was on the Wikipedia page for them for some reason, and some of them like there's an early run that is worth like quite a bit now <laughs> for like the single <laughs> issues, and it's kind of like I wonder if any of Mum's classics illustrated are are from that period, but they're probably so beat up by now, and and I'm I'm not even sure where they are. Anyways, oh, I know exactly where they are, and I will be. I'll be claiming them quickly. <laughs> um, yes, those those that those even came later for me. But yes, yeah, those, yeah. there is a weird collection of like, you ever heard of the time machine, <laughs> or just so, or even just like, you ever heard of Cassius Caesar of Rome? Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say Cassius Stanley, the twenty twenty NBA draft prospect. Where, hey. We're Renaissance men. Absolutely. We like touching on different things. Diverse interests. Um, but the the point of that is that we grew up, I think, with the same sort of uh, comics that I think a lot of people read as young kids. Maybe like Classics Illustrated is maybe a previous generation, but like the Archie <laughs> yeah. comics and Sonic comics and things like that. I think a lot of people when they were like between the ages of like seven and 12 picked up. Um, but I think where you then sort of hit pause until we were both in like our teens. I was always like, I, I was never reading comics because uh, like we, we didn't really have them around the house outside of those things. But I spent a lot of time on like early Wikipedia reading like characters, Wikipedia oh, articles and like, I did plenty of Wikipedia. <laughs> I, I recently told you this story, but um, there was one time when on a family road trip, I printed out the Wikipedia <laughs> article for infinite crisis <laughs> Just so I could have something to read. I do remember that, which is hilarious because you, like, how old were you when you did that? Probably. Like, Infinite Crisis is 2006. It's 2006. So yeah. I would have had to have been at least, like, 12 or 13 years old. Uh, yeah, those those were the days, truly. It's funny that, yes. like, there was a time in our lives where, like, Wikipedia existed, but we didn't have like phones to access <laughs> yeah. it. Like that's a very, I feel like you can date it to a two year period right there that it's like, I printed off a Wikipedia <laughs> article. It's a very slim wedge of our lives. But yeah. So I, I was wondering because I don't really know or can't really remember. I famously cannot remember details about my life. Um, what do you think? I mean, I think the obvious answer is movies, but what do you think drove your interest in superheroes? And maybe do you have any early memories of other than Wikipedia articles of stuff that you would be reading? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what exactly about superheroes appealed to me. Like, I, I don't think I was thinking about it at that level at that age. I was most like I was very intrigued by them. I think part of it was like definitely the the whole like uh there's a term for it that i'm forgetting but like the whole fantasy of like the ordinary person has uh this is going to be a deep insight into our family psychology (laughs) but the like ordinary schlub who is dismissed by everyone actually has a secret that he's like (laughs) extremely powerful extremely special and has these gifts that you know aren't recognized uh by by the people around him but which he uses to uh better the world Uh, well that's why i made all those bombs Uh, as no the, one understood me. Of course, you were misunderstood. And uh, actually, if we'd taken the time to read your manifesto, we would have understood that. <laughs> I'm actually quite smart. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but yes, for for a middle child, uh, that was very appealing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think as well, like the the sense of richness to the the backstories of the characters, where not just that like they had these these origin stories and then carried on from there but the fact that the characters who appealed to me like i think like daredevil was a a character who i was interested in very early captain america spider-man like all these characters were characters who 
uh, you know, they have the the origin story, which is kind of familiar, but then they had these decades of uh, like compounding stories where I think it, it appealed to me in that like so many different people had these different takes on these characters that they almost became like less not that not that they weren't characters, but that they became sort of distilled down to these this core set of like recognizable traits. And then seeing people's different kind of takes on on those um, sort of iconic figures that the way different people fleshed them out to become more human or really draw on sort of the like mythic symbolic power of them um, has always been something that that kind of drew me um, but definitely as like as a child the the fantasy element of it um, I think we're both big readers of fantasy to this day and I yeah I think engaging with that was was a big part of the appeal for me yeah that uh that caricature artist at the beach that was also (laughs) something that drew you yeah well when i saw myself as elvis uh, (laughs) (laughs) when i saw myself riding a skateboard (laughs) a smarmy grin yeah um i was just saying that 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 would that was something that was someone that drew you Oh uh, yes, I see. <laughs> Not that that was what appealed to no, me in comics. It's just it was something that drew you. Um, very good. It's getting better all the time. Yeah, I think for me, that's actually that's something that has always been a bit of a roadblock to me. I feel like in comics is the fact that there is this these decades of backstory because when I get into something, I tend to like really dig into it and like to have like a comprehensive knowledge of everything. So like a good example is the NBA because both of us got into basketball much later than I'd say most people do. Most people get into sports when they're kids because their parents watch it or whatever, but we sort of independently came to sports later in our lives after playing them terribly for uh 20 years we decided <laughs> our, it was better to just watch not, watch yeah. other people do it well we're, we're appreciators <laughs> definitely but yeah i think that both of us very quickly dug into history and i think we both have a very comprehensive knowledge of nba history despite not like i mean like it's like we could have we could theoretically have memories of like Michael Jordan's Bulls, but yeah. we don't. Other than your famous picture book, if I was a Chicago Bull, and I did take the game-winning shot to get him ring number six. So, well, that's massive for you. It, it was huge for me. <laughs> that was a big personal moment in yeah. your life. You were what, like eight years old, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is something that has often stopped me, or not stopped me, but made it tough for me in the past. Is so, like, for example, I'll be reading a Wikipedia article about a character, but often the Wikipedia articles will be so messy because the history will be so messy. Because comic book characters, they have this shared universe, their histories are tied to, you know, all these different marketing stunts and crossover events and reboots and all these things. So it's hard to track exactly, especially for a minor character, which I feel like has always been my sphere of interest i think that oftentimes a character will appear and then they'll be gone for you know years on end and then by the time they come back it's like well we've sort of decided on a different backstory for this person and so it can right. be a little confusing nothing to like try the character and... who first like appealed to you and it's tough too because then it's like nps like the writer who wrote that story like doesn't is, isn't working for this publisher anymore or whatever so the character like as you met them and fell in love with them is now gone <laughs> you get to just like watch other people sort of like ruin your memory of it yeah or not even that but just like i i'll I'll sort of jump ahead a little bit in my comics history because weirdly 52 the infinite crisis weekly (laughs) follow-up tie-in as is like a huge touchstone for me which is weird because that well it is and it isn't because i feel like that's a comic that is on one hand so closely tied to you know, universal world building continuity changing kind of things. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand is also feels very self-contained and is telling a story with a concrete beginning, middle and end, which you often don't necessarily see in comics. Yeah. I think, uh, I think for both of us, 52, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was definitely for me, the first like full uh, mainstream comics story that I had read. Yeah. I would, I, I'm not sure because so most of I'll I'll get into a little bit of my experience because I think mainly it would be something where 
I was sort of following your lead or I was aware of things because you were aware of them, things like that. So it was probably all around the same time in like early teenage years when I I read 52, you know, I read things like Dark Knight Returns and Kingdom Come that my experience and knowledge is more in the, and Watchmen, obviously, it's more in a concrete like graphic novel this was a 12 issue limited series and it happened and then it ended classics yeah exactly rather than following things on a on a monthly basis right um and i think my my entry was very similar but i think because 52 was sort of the first big thing that i read the which 52 is focused like the whole premise of it is that the most recognizable characters in the dc universe in batman superman and wonder woman are all sidelined for whatever reason and so and it's focused on like c-listers where like you know i had never i had never heard of let alone read a comic starring like booster gold or the elongated man like c-list characters really in terms of their like name recognition um so i think having that be the first like major thing I read, I just got used to like, you know, it was either make peace with the fact that I might not get like every single reference and I might have to like look a few things up to fully follow like exactly what's going on. Um, or, or I'm just like not (laughs) going to get more than a few issues into this because like, I have no clue who John Henry Irons is and, uh, and you either have to be interested to find out where you're kind of not going to really connect with the story at all. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point because it was something that I had written down that I always have been into more minor characters. Like I I don't I've probably read I mean definitely some like very early Spider-Man like first like 50 100 issues I've read, you know, chunks of that. But then it's like the Batman that I have the most like affection for is Batman and Robin, which is in like the late two thousands. Grant Morrison, right. where it's Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne, uh, and then like you know Booster Gold is one of my favorite. Like it's never been about the biggest characters for me. It's always been about these sort of minor characters, and so I do feel like Fifty Two was sort of a an intro into that. Into like well, even someone who's not Superman has decades of rich backstory and like different things driving them and it does feel like these characters i mean that's like a very grant morrison thing is to take a character that hasn't really been touched in a while and sort of imbue it with a new thing yeah or or to say like not not to imbue it with a new thing but to dredge up old stuff yeah kind of be like remember this it's it's like still part of the backstory. It's going to be an important element of this story. It's kind of like whole Batman run is like pulling up old Batman ideas and being like, this this weird thing from the 50s is important again. Yeah, and just that they would be able to exercise more freedom because nobody is really going to care if you dredge up a character from the 50s that literally no one cares about. And so you can have a little more latitude with those characters. And then you see, like, with Graham Morrison, like, when they tried to tackle, like, <laughs> the, I don't, I don't like, like, Return of Bruce Wayne. Like, I don't like as much when they sort of dip into bigger mythology things and that, or like, you know, more, more established mythic characters in that way, except for All-Star Superman, right. which is a separate I was thing. about to say, like, All-Star Superman is incredible because it's almost like an alternate universe story, you know, it's it, like, it's not in continuity per se. And then if you contrast that to when Morrison did an action comics run at the start of the new 52, like that run is fine, but you know, it's not, it's not like Morrison's best work. I wouldn't say it's not really like an iconic Superman story. Yeah. That it, it is really weird that they became like one of the, like, like a Jeff Johns type shepherd of the universe because their sensibilities feel so weird. But yeah, so so after you know after these that early introductory stage, where does your sort of comics intro? Because I feel like at that after that point, like I was like, well, you know, I've I've read some of these classic comics. I'm still really into comics and comics characters. I'll track things. I'll still read. I still read Wikipedia pages about <laughs> characters just because I find it super interesting. But who among us doesn't? Truly, um, but I feel like my interest did start to wane a little at that point 
at least as far as going out and finding these things and reading them did, while you only seem to intensify. Yeah, I think uh, I think the big differentiating factor was that like around that time I graduated from high school and I had like we we always went to camp as kids and then worked at camp as like older teens. Um, And the summer after I graduated from high school was the first summer in a few years where I hadn't gone to work at camp for the whole summer. I didn't have like a job or anything. It was like 100% free time. And my daily routine for like from (laughs) from July to September before I started university was wake up at like noon, read comics until like dinner time, (laughs) like read, read pirated comics until dinner time, eat dinner go hang out with my friends until like one o'clock in the morning and then come home and like read comics until like three in the morning, <laughs> pass out and then just do the exact same thing <laughs> every <out>. day. <laughs> like fall asleep with my laptop open in front of me halfway through like an issue of Starman. <laughs> and then stupor. like, yeah, <laughs> like come to the next morning and just like start, start up exactly where I left <laughs> off. So I th- I truly think in that like three month period and then continuing on into like my first few years of university, I, I read like thousands of comics, I think. And so I think, I mean, part of it was, so it was partly free time, partly that I didn't really at that point have any scruples about <laughs> just downloading a huge whack of comics and, and reading through them. So, so a combination of like time and availability, um, of, of the material, it got me like insanely hooked. Um, and the, the realization that there was so much out there that was worth reading and even stuff like there's stuff that when I first read it, like I remember I read, uh, Judd Winnick's run on green arrow, which like, I don't really remember now. And I think if I did go back to it, I'd be like, these are like B minus comics, <laughs> like not that great. But at the time, because I was like so new to to like comics as a medium in a sense, and and like superheroes in in general, it and it all felt it all felt very new and very exciting. So I was just like demolishing it, and and reading like whatever I could get my hands on, basically. And so I think it was either Starman or Why the Last Man. No, no, it was Sandman. So I read <laughs> I read Sandman. I. Th- uh, I'm, I'm going to get it confused. There were a few series that I read over the course of that summer, and the three that really stand out in my memory are the ones I just said, Sandman by Neil Gaiman, uh, Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn, and Starman by James Robinson, where I was like, these are unreal, and I want to own them. Like, I'm not satisfied with these, like, <laughs> pirated scans that I have. I want to, like, own a copy I want to like put some money into it. I want to have like a nice edition that I can pull off the shelf and flip through anytime. Um, <laughs> and 10 years later, yeah. <laughs> I want to be a little freak. I want, I want to spend thousands of dollars. Um, yeah. So at that point was when I, I started going to the local shop uh, in our town and like I was buying trades at that point. <laughs> You make it sound like the, it was the like local a comic book store, store, Heroes, Cards, and Comics, the happiest place on earth. The comic bookery. Um, yeah, so I so I started buying trades, but then you know, uh, Heroes is a big store, um, and when you walk in, there's not only uh, like hundreds of trades in there, but obviously they've got all the week's new releases, and then they've got a huge back catalog as well of single issues. So I think the the act of starting to put myself in that environment, I pretty soon started seeing stuff on the shelves that was catching my eye. And like some of the series that I had been following, I, I like got caught up. Like I was up to date on Daredevil, for example. And I was like, I, when I when I realized that like there was nothing more just like immediately available that the next issue hadn't come out yet, then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to start buying Daredevil. Um, so that was, that was, uh, probably like, I think that was the winter of 20, like the end of 2009 and the start of 2010 that I started my weekly, or like my, my pull list at heroes, uh, and started buying monthly comics. Wow. That's, that's quite a story. Um, and then as, as someone who has personally assisted in the relocation of said comics several times, <laughs> yeah, I know that the collection has grown and then shrunk and then grown again. Yes. You tend to 
collate things once you've finished, like once you've collected a trade's worth of stuff, you tend to collate it into the trade, which is psychotic. Yeah. So but please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I am truly psychotic when it comes to my spending habits and, and my collecting habits. But when I after I finished university and I like moved out uh, to to like take my first job. I decided, like, I, I had to cut my pull list at Heroes because I was leaving town. Um, and that was when I kind of was like, so, first of all, if <laughs> for all the economics heads out there, I know that probably when I said 2009, <laughs> and if, you, if you've been paying attention to the geography, you'll have deduced that we are Canadians. Um, 2009, 10, we had dollar parity with the US. Um, and in comics, that's, like, a big deal because paying us cover price and and sometimes even below us cover price for stuff made things super affordable like at that point uh i hadn't completely ruined my amazon algorithm so i still got good deals on, <laughs> on comics now amazon. they're like he'll just and, like, buy anything <laughs> yeah pretty much um and even at that point because we had dollar parity like i could even order from like the u.s amazon site and after paying shipping it would still be worth it because the cover price was so much lower and the the discount was still so substantial so anyways at that point i decided i'd cut my pull list um the the dollar was only headed down and it was starting to get more expensive to follow like month to month floppies or singles or or what have you um, so I decided to switch my collection over to primarily collected editions. So I still have, I think I have probably about 3000 issues in the basement, um, like bagged and boarded. Um, oh. but for the most part now, <laughs> I only buy single issues of series that I really want to like put, throw, throw my money behind and, uh, like contribute to the success. So basically if I'm concerned that like they might get canceled Ooh, after right. like one or two storylines, then then I'll pick up a single issue, but for the most part, I'm on to collected editions now. And that's very brave um, of you. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and so I, I then like went hog wild for a few years of just like uh, picking up whatever I could get my hands on again still. So like a lot of used stuff, a lot of sale stuff. Um where like there's there's lots of like heroes had a huge sale section um and there's there's lots of like buy and sell groups out there so uh my collection like ballooned up cr pretty quickly and then i had to like pare it back down um when i ran out of shelf space which i did by kind of like <laughs> going over everything really and, hearing this all laid out stuff <laughs> it's really it's stark <laughs> it's yeah, I'm, and I'm sure this is riveting listening yeah. to hear about I, my buying habits. And then I had some more comics, and then I decreased my number. Yeah. But I'm interested. Uh, yeah, I, I suffice to say, I, I I have several times like ballooned the collection, and then been like, I have no more shelf space, so I need to either stop buying comics, or I need to get rid of some stuff to create more. And space. I wasn't so going to stop buying. Comics. I would say. <laughs> And I was not going to stop buying comics. So I'd say the past like kind of five years, I've been pretty much at capacity. And when I add something, that means I have to take something else off the shelf. Um, and You've so also been I, married I in that time, which changes the calculus. I have also somewhat. been married in that time. Well, you'd think so, but... Uh, <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> it does It does change the calculus somewhat. And, and you know, we we have a house but uh, it's not a big house so our we do have a house. Our room to expand <laughs> well more importantly we have a mortgage and that affects the calculus as much as anything but you know the uh, my my wife is not uh, a reader of comics and is not interested in seeing comic books in any room that she spends any time in <laughs> so i have i have one room and if they don't fit in that room then they they need to go it's your it's your um, man cave so i haven't <laughs> It is my man cave. It's true. Um, I haven't done a count in a while, uh, but I would say I have somewhere between like 700 and 800 collected edition books uh, in the office at the moment. Uh, and that's like trade paperbacks, hardcovers, omnibuses, absolutes, uh, like library epics. editions. Um, epics. <laughs> uh, epics, pones, uh, awesome sauces, everything we covered. Um, and, and then some. You no, know, like, honestly, they're, they're pretty random. Like, <laughs> they are they're for the win um, <laughs> we could yeah, just yeah, we could really do this all day <laughs> truly um 
yeah some some more collectory stuff as well like uh, artists editions uh have you have you ever flipped through one of the artists editions i think editions? i've seen some of the things is it like they're like really really big and they're like they are pencils? so the the idea of them is that they've taken like absolutely as high quality a scan as they could from the original art boards and reproduce them at original art size um so like if a standard floppy is i think like eight by ten or maybe hmm, a little smaller for me than in that the bedroom <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took me a second to get my head all the way around mm. that one um yeah that's that's kind of the standard size uh and then the artist editions reproduce at like i think the standard ones are 11 by 17 and then for certain artists that work at bigger sizes like i've got a wally wood one that is definitely bigger than 11 by 17 i want to do something with wood and floppy yeah. but it's uh, it's not coming to me beyond that so to speak <laughs> that baseline <can> <laughs> there's there's lots anyways well we have lots of time <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we do. Uh, to summarize this this last uh, pile of jibber jabber, the point is that uh, yes, I I eventually changed my uh, my pirating ways and became an avid uh, buyer of of collected editions, and uh, I'm sitting on a collection that I am pretty happy with. Um, that is still continuing to see books rotate in and out uh, to this day. Um, and through which I have uh, read many, many thousands more uh, issues of comics. So it continues to be part of my like daily, if not weekly routine to uh, to spend some time reading and continuing to engage with uh, with comics. Although uh, I'm like I said, I'm not following books month to month anymore. So I'm not as current on kind of what's happening like right now in in a lot of series. Um I've I've probably spent more of my time lately, kind of filling out my my uh, history um, and digging into some older books. Right, and this is part of that as well. Um, yeah. So now that you've heard all of that, you understand. <laughs> you understand the difference between someone like me who like has read Watchmen, and you know, not not just deeper than Watchmen. Like it's like I've read like green lantern rebirth i've read brightest day um but it's it's a matter of degrees and so that's uh that's a big part of why both of us i think want to do this is because i i wanted to dig into things that that i was not as familiar with and i think it's a it's a family trait that we love to explain things to people (laughs) yeah which is one of the worst traits you can have and except when someone is like a willing active participant in that in which case it's the best feeling ever (laughs) i had dinner with friends last night who uh have been watching the mandalorian and didn't realize that baby yoda (laughs) isn't actually yoda uh and (laughs) uh i was on cloud nine and uh and it was noted to me by uh, my aforementioned wife that I <laughs> rarely wife. has she seen me come alive in such a way as to explain. Actually, on the show, they just call him the child. <laughs> that, that reminds me of when I started, I was at a dinner with friends and I started talking about Gemini Man. <laughs> and how one of your favorite topics and how they made gemini man and <laughs> and all of that and i was just like freaking out and i could like i could like physically feel myself becoming like hyped up and i was like you need to calm down um, but also i have a really good friend who he's really into hockey i'm really into basketball so we knowing that we both have like the same brain disease will like text each other and be like hey what's the deal with this trade like tell me about it and like not that we're not interested but it also like we know how fun it is for the other person to like give us information and provide us with context Mm -hmm. so i think i think that gives us a pretty pretty thorough look at what our respective comics understandings are so let's talk about the idea for the podcast itself um so my my sort of initial thought is what do you think attracts us to this idea that of sort of following a a run or a a section in this way i know you did talk about a little bit before about how you know it, it is kind of a gap in the in the comics world and i'm i'm always into um 
tackling things from different angles and but not you know it, it can also be you're drawing ideas for how to approach things from other mediums so i think yeah i think one of the big things is that we're both big fans of the blank check podcast which yes, is i was just about to say which is a podcast about movies and covering directors on you know movie by movie and i don't we're not going to cover creators in that way like it's not like if we're covering yeah, we're grant not, morrison we're not going to say like everything. here's what grant morrison did in 2007 and next episode we'll be looking at 2008 but yeah i think it is the same conceit where we're looking at a single creator we're looking at a single creator's sort of artistic vision and the things that they did with a certain character at a certain time and having all that surrounding context as well yeah exactly because this is like we've been talking about doing something like this for like a few years now really um and the initial conception of it was just to to kind of pick out some of those like kind of kind of play the hits um and and visit the really classic important like cornerstone runs um and and just kind of bounce around to between creators publishers eras whatever um but I think because of because of like paying attention to directors in the way that we have as uh, as blank check listeners, we've come to kind of see the the value in following one person's career and and it can be interesting to to go from like oh so you're telling me I don't actually know the timeline on this but like you're telling me after Grant Morrison did New X Men they then wrote a three issue Kid Eternity miniseries <laughs> that, where it's about like a guy have it like ODing in a <laughs> in an alley but he thinks he's kid eternity the oh. like barely known dc kid. yeah it's it's funny to to um look at creators who are very well known for kind of their their most important work and then go to their stuff that for whatever reason didn't connect in the same way and say you know what's what's present here that might have carried over from some of the like the momentum of previous works what are some of the similar concepts or themes or or what have you that are being played with and also like why why did this maybe not connect in the same way or why don't we talk about this as much considering like like i i feel like a series that people don't really talk about is carl kessel on superboy in the 90s that's like a hundred issue long series. <laughs> like, you know, books don't just run for a hundred issues. Like obviously something was working yet. That's not something that has become like a cultural touch point in the same way that, you know, shorter stories that maybe are more accessible or even longer epics like, like Chris Claremont's X-Men. Everyone knows Chris Claremont's X-Men. If you're, if you're engaged in X-Men kind of in any way beyond um, the most, the most sort of surface level engagement, you'll probably at some point have someone make a reference to Chris Claremont's X-Men, but... Or like John Byrne's Superman. Or... Yeah, John Byrne's Superman, People like who Jeff have John's like Green Lantern we've mentioned. A yeah. very iconic association with a certain character at a certain yeah, time. Yeah, and, and not just not just that iconic association, but uh, the accompanying like a huge chunk of issues, whereas, like, like I said, the Superboy book ran for 100 issues, and that's like, you know every book doesn't just run for a hundred issues. Right. So obviously something was working, but not, not something that made it kind of stick in people's minds the way that something like X-Men did. Right. Um, so I, I think that kind of thing can be interesting to look at and, and sort of revisit what people might have forgotten about um, those, those kinds of books that sort of hang around forever. Um, and yet are, are also sort of forgotten. Yeah. And, and, on the on the sort of flip side of that i think a thing that interests me a lot is because like i said i'll I'll be reading a wikipedia article and like there will be a, like it'll be talking about something maybe even something i know about and then there'll be a paragraph break and then yeah. it'll be like then this happened it's like oh <laughs> clearly you're talking about a completely different thing that this yeah. character just happened to show up in and like something happened to them in that like thing but I have no idea what that would be. And so I think that is a big part of the interest for me is like understanding the context of the character. So if like, if we're looking at, you know, Green Lantern, it's like Green Lantern Rebirth is actually a good example because it's like, well, the character was in a very specific state at the time that this came out. And like, this was, this is why this mattered in terms of 
sort of reinventing the character or putting the character in a new direction that sort of shaped not only their own stories, but like the stories of the universe as it went on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing that I also really enjoy is like scrolling through a creator's bibliography and being like, wait, they, what they wrote this or like, what is this thing that like, I've never heard of? Like, I think the thing that really sold me on, like, I want to cover like creators, bibliographies and, and (laughs) like go into the deep stuff was that I remembered that I have like 36 issues or something like that of this Ed Brubaker Vertigo book called Dead Enders that I think I think is maybe his first published work and you know he obviously he went on to like write Batman and Gotham Central and X-Men and then became like one of the the biggest sort of independent creators uh in his collaborations with Sean Phillips at Image like he's he's like an S-list writer uh who's had like uh in he wrote the. I think he wrote on the Daredevil movie. He wrote on the Captain America movies, and also had obviously big runs on those characters. Mm-hmm. And and I was just like, oh yeah, I have like <laughs> however many issues, like a few dozen issues of the Dead Enders in my in my long box, and like ah, it's about like post apocalyptic teenage punks, something like that. <laughs> I haven't read it in like probably almost fifteen years. Uh, where that's the kind of thing that I'm excited to be like, obviously, yes, it will be exciting to talk about like Ed Brookbaker's run on Captain America, which is like one of my favorite runs ever. Right. But it's also really funny to go back and be like, and this, and also he wrote this <laughs> at some point, this completely bizarre book that for some reason is like 30 issues long, which today probably wouldn't make it to like number eight. Right. Well, I, I do want to just fact check you a little bit here. Uh, Edward Baker's first work in comics was writing and drawing Pajama Chronicles, and he also he, he also penciled a Gumby 3D issue for Blackthorn Comics. Gumby 3D. I didn't see. I didn't realize this is also another another thing that's fun with comics is like I didn't realize he ever did art, and it's there's a surprising number of artists or of writers rather who like kind of came in as artists like their first credits are artists or they did the art like jonathan hickman did the art on his own books a couple times brian michael bendis did the art on his own books a couple times grant morrison i don't know if they ever actually like did did published art other than like these there was like these these like newspaper strips that they did for like their local paper but but for the multiversity they have like their character design sketches as covers and you're like whoa grant morrison is look like can draw <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's funny to look at people who uh are best known as writers but like also snuck in as artists and artists who you know you you might be flicking through and you're like wait they're they're all the writer on this also or they're only the writer and they didn't do the art like chip zadarsky would be someone who like came in as a, a, a artist and is now kind of a writer and artist um i think alan davis is kind of the main guy i think of as um an, a primarily an artist but who like also snuck in a few writing credits things like that i i hate to go off on a tangent but oh please don't Blackthorn achieved its greatest sales and financial success with their licensed 3D comics adaptations of the California Raisins, comma. (laughs) Go on, comma. But the financial loss suffered by the failure of their 3D adaptation of Michael Jackson's film Moonwalker was a major contributor to the publisher's downfall. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's there's all kinds of... of weird corners of uh comicdom that i'm sure especially as we cover creators who were working in like the 90s uh we'll get into there's also like i'm very excited (laughs) to get into like the some of the weird like reboot era or (laughs) like when when comics first started sort of flirting with digital art um they there were all these comics that came out that were like entirely computer generated art (laughs) that have just aged like terribly they look so bad and it's it's so funny to read them uh they look they look like web comics today um but, but without yeah, shaders <laughs> well, well yeah they're, they're it's it's crazy they truly they truly look like 
uh like i don't know sometimes you see web comics today that are entirely like all the art is done with like 3d modeling software and they just oh. have like yeah like these unnaturally posed figures uh, yeah it's it's crazy hopefully uh we'll we'll cover someone who worked on books like that at some point uh because they're they're insane but <laughs> yeah just trends like that in the industry that i think you know most of those comics are bad and we would never have ended up talking about them if we were just kind of bouncing around through through the classic runs i do like that um you know following creators through their careers means we also get to follow them into the the kind of dark (laughs) (laughs) unknown chapters of their careers where you know they they were down on their luck and just had to take whatever job was paying (laughs) yeah definitely We will go into some some strange alleys, hopefully. So, with that in mind, do you think it's time that we uh, we discuss what the the first thing we wanted to tackle? I think. Do you do you think that this will be a regular feature, or do you think that we will know when we start recording the episode what we will be covering next? Uh, because we we have th- we haven't talked about this at all. We haven't talked about it at all. I think what will happen is that for this one, I've, I've got a couple ideas of who we might start with. Uh, I think you probably do too. Um, but I think we'll we'll probably settle on someone and then uh, at some point we'll like break out what exactly the the reading order is and like what which specific works we're gonna cover and you know kind of spreadsheet it out. After that, like, I don't know if people necessarily want to hear us talk through <laughs> every single time, like, what creator should we do next? But right. uh, I think I think by the time we're finishing up a, a writer, we'll know who's next up and, and have the reading order set and be able to kind of say, like, and next we're going to be doing this. Um, yeah, I mean, I I haven't delved into it too deeply, mainly because I I'm sort of treating myself as the passenger of the train here. I mean, obviously I will have opinions and things I'm interested in, but I think you as the more knowledgeable of the duo would be in a, in prime position to, to, to maybe suggest some things for our first foray. Well, I have two writers in mind uh, who I've been kind of turning over as, as possible first options. Um, excuse me for a moment while I burp. This is staying in. Ah, please. <laughs> um, so the first one is uh, Brian K. Vaughn, um, who comes to mind partly as someone who is like a, a pretty influential and prolific creator, but he doesn't have so much that it's going to take us like two years to get through everything. Like he's got he's got a few big signature runs. Um and and then also like a couple little mini series that I think would be worth covering. So I think like for him it would be like Why the Last Man, uh, Runaways, Ex Machina, uh, and Saga are the oh and Paper Girls are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's got like a run. I'd have to look how many issues it is, but he's got a run on Ultimate X Men that might have to go in there too. Um, and then he's got some interesting mini series that like. I think like the private eye with Marcus Martin, that was, it would be interesting to talk about because it's kind of like a pioneering digital first release. Um, He's got like another, I think this is also with Marcus Martin, another one called barrier where he plays with like format in an interesting way. Um, Like pride of Baghdad was a really big deal when it came out. Um, We stand on guard, the weird Canadian sci-fi comic. (laughs) It might be, it might be worth a detour. As soon as I heard Um, that name, I was like, "This is some very Canadian content." Yeah, I'm not sure how much I've never read it, and I'm not sure that I'm particularly interested in reading it. But uh, but it's out there, so that would be one on the table. Uh, I think that would kind of be everything for him. Um, And and I he came to mind as someone who's like a popular creator a lot of people have engaged with at least some of his work if not you know most of the hits uh and i think you have read have you have you read why i've read probably i've it, i have no memory of it um but i i have at some point read a, a substantial amount of issues probably like 50 issues or something like that 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 would be like most of the series i'm sure if you've read 50 you've probably read maybe not 60. maybe not that much but it is someone i'm familiar with but not super familiar and and I've read like the first, you know, twenty some odd issues of Runaways, and really like that. But yeah. again, not something I 
have concrete memory of. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read Runaways too, so that would be pretty fresh for me. Um, the other one that I've I've kind of had in the back of my mind as someone who would be worth doing, and I think this kind of ties into what you're saying about wanting to engage with art a little bit more, is Scott McCloud. Um, have you ever read anything by Scott McCloud? Have you heard, <laughs> have you heard of Scott McCloud? I definitely know the name. So he's uh, he he's the writer and artist behind uh, Eternal Shelf Favorite of yours on my shelf, Zot. I, um, <laughs> I was going to bring up Zot exclamation mark. <laughs> yes, he he. So his stuff. I I need to double check and make sure this is true. But I I looked it up at one point, and I'm pretty sure his entirety would be Zot. And then he has a trilogy, which is, uh, yes, I know about these. So right, I yeah. have a general understanding comics, uh, re Oh, it's understanding comics, creating comics and reinventing comics. I think are the, the three titles. It is understanding, reinventing and making comics. Yeah. Um, so in particular, understanding comics is like basically, a yes, textbook that's like a on, holy text. I know. Yeah. It's like intro to comic book theory. Um, and then, he had uh, an original graphic novel that came out like maybe two years ago called the sculptor. And that's like it. Um, yeah. I'm looking at his bibliography. And, and like he did like a handful of issues of like um, Superman adventures and, and maybe a couple other things. But as far as the, the stuff where there's enough content that we would be interesting in covering it, I'm pretty sure it's just like those five things. Well, he wrote um, the new adventures of Abraham Lincoln in 1998 <laughs> for image. Well, there you have it. How many issues? unclear <laughs> I'm, I'm only being sent an isbn number <laughs> uh we'll have to get on comic vine and look that up later um but i th i think he could be interesting to do um in part because those like uh understanding reinventing and making comics it might be kind of hard to talk through but i think would be interesting to do at the start to form sort of yeah, like the, a, the foundation an for... educational yeah, and, and they're really, like, I said they were kind of textbook-like, and it's true to an extent, but it's, they're done, the, uh, if, they're if not it boring, wasn't clear, or they're not they're not, they're not boring at all, and they're done in, like, as comic books, so they're demonstrating concepts even as they're, like, explaining them. Right. Um, it's, it's a very, yeah, it's a very engaging read, it's a very interesting read, um, and, you know, it might be, it might be a little technical and theoretical for super super riveting stuff but i i think it could be interesting as like a starting point to have those concepts kind of laid out and thought through and talked through and then move on to um you know work that is is putting that stuff into practice right yeah i i think that's a great idea i mean no one's gonna listen to this <laughs> so that's true <laughs> we can we can uh we can be a little really clear we can be a little free with our form and I, I think that's a really good idea in terms of giving ourselves sort of a it's a very easy person where you really can cover pretty much everything he's done at least everything you know of note um and also something that will give us this sort of bedrock for future exploration so i i think that's a good idea all right, we'll lock it in. Scotty M. Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats to you, Scott. We'll be reaching uh, out. Come on the show. Yeah, we will have you on <laughs> in at least, probably within five episodes, I'd say. You'll be you on. Know what the, <laughs> the funny thing about comics is that so, like the creators will I, engage I was like, with like I was like it's where, not impossible <laughs> yeah like where there's I don't know if like Scott McCloud in particular would be someone who would but like yeah creators engage with with like content and outlets and stuff with like no audience all the time yeah <laughs> so you know never say never so it's locked in Scott McCloud will be on the podcast soon <laughs> that's a that's uh the runs guarantee i really runs guarantee i really want to put is. oh yeah we we do well that should be our last thing is to, to get our name <laughs> but i want i i don't want it to be a nebulous thing like i don't want it to be a goal i want it to be like within let's say 10 weeks <laughs> scott mccloud, scott McCloud will, be on the podcast. will appear on the podcast for an exclusive interview <laughs> and it won't be about comics and he'll delve into his personal life <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right, lock it in. And uh, of course, we've never made a commitment and failed to uphold it. So it's been uh, popped, locked, and dropped. This podcast <laughs> has been running for as long as we've been talking about it. It didn't just start now, several years later. So there's only one thing left here, David, and it is figuring out what we are going to call this podcast. So just to give a peek behind the curtain, we did talk about The Strip Club as a title, which I, I agree with you. It's a great title. My fear is SEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair. <laughs> uh, before the start of the show, we searched up, uh, I believe we just typed in Strip Club Podcast <laughs> on uh, Google. Yeah. And our targeted ads are going to be real interesting. And it turned out, it was like, well, there was there was Squeals and Wheezies, which, yes. is, which is a podcast wheezies. brought to you live on location from a strip club, which, oh, I'm actually, really? which I actually want to listen to now. I don't know if it has, <laughs> I think it's only one episode, hmm. or maybe no. it's just, oh, it's one episode of the Squeals and Wheezies podcast. Anyways, this was back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let me just read you every single title of the Squeals and Wheezies podcast episode. <laughs> I will say the art is a guy with a pink mohawk, literally spanking a monkey. Okay. So you can kind of get the concept there. Yeah. Uh, and here is every episode of Squeals and Wheezies. Episode one, Ugly Celebrities. Mm. Episode two, Yahoo Answers. That is ripe. <laughs> Episode three, worst customer service. And so these up to this point have been 51, 66, and 48 minutes. And then we jump up, naked selfies, 134 minutes. Oh. So they they had things to talk about. Uh, Protect your checks. Gay jail. Mm -hmm. And strip club podcast. (laughs) That's the final episode? I believe it. Yes, it is the final episode of Squeal of Squeals and Wheezies. So shout out to Squeals and Wheezies. Uh, come on the show. <laughs> yes, come you. You guys should minutes. interview Scott McCloud. <laughs> <laughs> See what he thinks about uh, naked selfies. We're not qualified. Uh, so that so that's a one problem with the strip club. But I do also like it because I think it's funny, and as two brothers. <laughs> It only becomes funnier. Like I said, it really conveys the the virile sexual energy of two adult brothers talking about comic books. (laughs) Two horny brothers. Um, My alternative suggestion was some permutation of we've got the runs. Mm Mm-hmm. So, which I which I also like and also think is funny. I think we've got the runs is kind of long and unwieldy. What about we've got runs? Uh, I I feel like you want the runs if you want the joke to really come through there. I guess. So it would be got the runs. I I don't hate got the runs. I don't hate just the runs. That all, uh, I feel like that also got yeah got the runs more than the runs i feel like is something distinctive of course true i do like that if someone were to google search for our podcast hypothetically if we were to become famous it would be like top top link us second link diarrhea 15 common causes (laughs) and how to treat it web empty (laughs) third choice the runs urban dictionary (laughs) (laughs) um but so so where where do you land on this i'll 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 leave it in your hands i think we have two great options and neither one will have anyone remark on it in any way (laughs) um yeah i think i think i like uh, a variant of we got the runs i think i would settle on got the runs uh, as conveying a little more clearly someone who will be or or someone who has spent time kind of reading about or talking about comics will recognize more clearly the terminology of the runs and get a better sense of uh, <laughs> the terminology of the runs. Yeah. Well, because, you know, comic readers are noted, uh, <laughs> noted bowel movers, um, <laughs> but more importantly, Is that true? you know, Todd, uh, well, who knows? Um, <laughs> you seem like you do. Are you talking about yourself mainly? 
I mean, I move my bowels daily, so, and, and that's healthy and natural. Oh, um, Lord knows I've tried. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think people who, uh, you know, the, our five listeners uh, will presumably be people who have read comics before, probably, you know, spent some time, know what that when we refer to a yes, run, a run what, has what a... that kind of means. Look at the pun. Yeah, is the bottom line. They've got the puns. Where a strip club is a little more more uh, general and, uh, you know, <laughs> low, low hanging fruit. Yes. Certainly at the strip club, I've seen my fair share. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as someone who has ever been to a strip club. I was going to say, have you ever been to a strip club? I have never in my life. Have you? I, uh, I feel like you no. have once. I have not. I I had to. I got you to pick me up from a bachelor party outside the strip club at one point because the, mm. that was the point of the evening where I was <laughs> tapping You're... out. Yeah. So that's the kind of people we are. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think got the runs is a good idea. So uh, I thank everyone, and I assume it is everyone. Uh, this will be the world's most popular podcast before too long. I, th- I think one is probably the operative part. Of the <laughs> Every one, yeah. Every single one person. Um, to our other brother, it'll be Joe <laughs> Sorry Rogan. We didn't invite you, and then us. Uh, thank you for listening to the first episode of Got the Runs. Um, I suppose I will include the uh, reading list in the episode description it will be pretty easy uh and and then maybe in the next episode we will include the reading list for the following episode if that makes sense anyways i'll add some things in the episode description so you know what to look for but it's safe to say you gotta read zot <laughs> you i think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised by zot it's uh, oh, I'm, it, I'm looking forward to zot Zod, Zod is good stuff, especially like the the back half is uh, is quite strong. I'm looking forward to spending returning to my good friend Zot. Not unlike myself, the back half is quite strong. <laughs> um, that is going to do it for the inaugural episode zero of Got the Run Origins <laughs> Identity Crisis. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Have you seen Borat 2 yet? No. Okay. Goodbye.